Hello and welcome to In Unison, the podcast for choral conductors, composers, and choristers, where we interview members of our choral community to talk about new music, new and upcoming performances, and discuss the interpersonal and social dynamics of choral organizations in the San Francisco Bay Area and beyond. Beyond. We are your hosts. I am Zane Fiala, Artistic Director of the International Orange Chorale of San Francisco. And I'm Giacomo Di Gregoli, a tenor in IOCSF, the Golden Gate Men's Chorus, and the San Francisco Symphony Chorus. And this is... In Unison! This week, we chat with Astrid Vang Pedersen, the founder and artistic director of Danish vocal performance ensemble Dopplers, about everything ranging from the world of a cappella singing to Astrid's specialty, concert design. Let's kick off this week's episode with some music. Here's Min Moir, written by Ivor, performed by Dopplers. The planet... Our Mother Earth From here I venture To you I will return Home Oh, 
All right, joining us today on In Unison, we have a very old friend of mine from way back in the day. We have Astrid Vang Pedersen. And Astrid is a choral conductor and concert designer. She has developed a specific method of staging choral performances called concert design and finished her thesis on the subject in 2018 uh, with a project created in collaboration with the Royal Danish Academy of Music and Roskilde University. She is the artistic director of Dopplers, which she founded in 2009, and she also works as a freelance teacher of choral conducting and concert design and composes music for choirs and theater productions. Astrid has initiated the collaborative choir project Ubuntu Song, where choir singers from around the world promote cross-cultural understanding through song. The project debut was released in 2018 and is a tribute to the legacy of Nelson Mandela and the South African philosophy Ubuntu. Welcome, Astrid. Thank you very much. Hooray, welcome. <laughs> and now we'll jump into my favorite part of the conversation, which is the icebreaker. We want to get to know you a little bit just personally yeah. who you are. Um, uh, here's one for you. What is the most surprising song we might find, uh, find on your personal playlists? And why do you consider it surprising? Well, I don't know if it's that surprising, actually. I think other parents in the world might say, oh, that's very natural, because uh, you might think that my playlist is full of interesting and artistic songs that I'm, you know, interested in or uh, discovering. But really, my playlist is mainly children's songs <laughs> and nursery rhymes and different kind of fairy tales that you can play when you're tucking your kids in at night. And I have two daughters who are five and eight, and uh, they love music and they love storytelling. So my playlist that will open up initially is full of that. Wait, what's one of the songs? You're a singer. You've, you've got to give us a little bit of one that's stuck in your head, I'm sure. Well, the first one that comes into mind is actually the Moonlight Sonata by Beethoven, though it's oh. played on, you know, um, one of those instruments that's it's not a piano. It's just one of those that sounds like a tingle thing for, for sleeping tight. And I usually tell them, an, you know, a freestyle tale about how Beethoven came to, to compose this music. Wow. Um, so even though it's made up, it's just one of those great things that get your kid's imagination going and eventually they, they fall asleep. Oh, that's wonderful. That's really sweet. And I, it's so wonderful to see you passing on this tradition to your, to your children, which leads me to another personal question, which is, why did you choose music as a profession? Well, I think actually it, there wasn't much of a choice for me. Uh, music has always been a big part of my life, and I've been singing and playing since I was very little. And uh, so it just, I think at one point I was reflecting upon it, saying if, if I could choose to do something else, what should it then be? But it was just never very natural to actually make that choice to do something different. So it just it just was right there in, in, in front of me. So it's more like how, how should I pursue music than whether to do it or not. So why singing then? Why the voice for you? Because you're clearly well, an accomplished piano player as well. well Indeed. Thank you. Yeah, well, I started out actually playing a lot of piano, but already in my school years, I... I found singing in choirs very fascinating. And this was back when we had cassette tapes. So one of the <laughs> oh, things yes. I used to do was actually record a part uh, on a cassette tape. And then I played that back and recorded on another cassette player so that I could sing multiple parts just alone. 
So I guess the whole thing about, you know, harmonies was very fascinating for me already back then. So that kept on building. And then when I studied at the university, uh, choral conducting and choral singing was just one part of the subjects that we had there. But then that was when I discovered that this was actually also something that I was good at. So then it became very natural for me to pursue that further on. Uh, so so that was that was why. How did you know? How did you know you were good at it? What was the feedback you were getting? Well, the university had a very broad, you know, it was very focusing on a lot of different topics within music, both the academic field, but also the practical field. And this was one of the practical disciplines. And I'd been studying for, for three years and I actually loved that education, but I was looking into doing another two years where I was like, if it's going to be more of the same, I want to, I might want to change to something different. And then actually I went to my final exam and got a, a top grade in choral conducting. And then I realized, well, I love this so much. And obviously somebody else also thinks that I have something to offer here. So that was what pointed me. And, and then I actually made the change because in Denmark, we have academies for, for being musicians, practically uh, exercising musicians. And then we have the universities if you want to teach or whether you want to um, move on to being an academic. So those are split. And then I changed over to the academy and studied choral conducting after that. So I dare ask this question, but what if you were a little bit of a renegade? and you hadn't pleased your professions, what what would your life have been like then? That's a very good question. I don't know the word renegade, but I'm, I'm sounds like a rebel or something. Rebel, yeah. yes. <laughs> well, I don't know. For some reason, I mean, now you know that I also made a PhD. So my path is kind of, it's, it's always skipping between the academic field and the practical field. So I guess once I've been in one for a while, I feel like I need to go over to the other so that in one way that's become my mission. And sometimes it's also been terribly frustrating because trying to build bridge between those two things is actually sometimes really hard because, you know, the academic feel like they feel like that's the way to do it. That's the way to approach understanding music and practitioners feel like, you know, doing music is the way to understand music. So to bridge those two is 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 quite is quite the challenge and it's given me a lot of you know heartaches and, and headaches along the way so i i guess that's why i keep on going back and pushing to try and and do that innovate that place have you found effective ways of bridging those two the the academic side and the practical side have you found personally found ways to bridge those well, I think my, my PhD project has been one of those attempts and in, in some parts of it, I've, I have succeeded, I feel, because I have really found that within design thinking, that's why my method is called concept design. Like working with design is that's really strong, both has strong traditions, both in the academic field and the practical field. And this is one of the places where you can really feel that there's a synergy. That when those, those two come together, we become, the world opens up and we have way more possibilities. Um, but it's still, it's still difficult, you know, if, if you're trained within a tradition, uh, I think you both have some classical training within the classical tradition. If you, if you, you know, born and bred within that tradition, it's, it's kind of difficult to, to say, well, hey, some of that tradition might not always have been reflected upon and and then people will go well how can you say that the tradition is so strong how can you question that so in that sense it has also cost uh, sometimes a little bit on that 
Maybe you might be able to step back because you used two words there that I, I don't know what they are. Maybe our listeners don't know what they are. You mentioned that one of your skills is concert design. But what does that mean? No, that's a really good question. And actually, concert design is, is it's not something that I've invented, obviously, because concerts exist and design exists. So what we all do when we put together programs and create events, that's basically concert design. So what I'm saying with that is just that it's the process that goes into creating an end product that entails music as the main feature. Now, what I then mean by concert design is putting on that reflective perspective and saying, well, we actually aim to be aware of every step in the process. And that aim builds on a vision or an, an attempt to try and do something to reach our audiences. So concert design is in many ways an attempt to create an event where the event here and now that meeting where you, you as a performer meet your audience, that's the most important thing, not, not the artwork as something that stands alone. You know, like we would sometimes say that a composition is a piece of art that's out of space and out of time. Well, concert design is very focused on bringing that into the here and now, into time and space and saying, well, us who are here right now, what does it mean for us to share this musical experience? And how can we transfer that into the world afterwards as inspiration or action or joy or whatever that might be so so that's that's the that's the attempt to create the possibility of of using events for transforming transforming people i imagine that you you mentioned as part of concert design that it's it's about bringing people in together all experiencing something at the same time boy this has been a challenging year for that I imagine that um, under COVID, you've probably had to be a little bit more creative. You probably can still bring people together, but in a different way. What projects have you worked on during this time period where some of the tools in your toolbox have been taken away? Well, first of all, I want to say that you're, you're definitely right. It has been a really rough year for all of us who love to sing and love to be singing together. Um, but those those difficulties are perhaps not, well, they are different, but there are always difficulties in doing concert design. And those are due to the fact that music always have certain things that need to be um, fulfilled in order for us to do our job well. Let's say the acoustic, it can sometimes be something that's difficult for us to overcome, or it can be something about you know, where do we need to stand in order to hear each other in a choir or in an orchestra? We can't do we can't do everything freely. We always have to consider what does it take to realize the music and make that connect with the space and the audience. Now, obviously, a lot of things have been taken out of that equation now during COVID. So people can't get together physically and we have to do perhaps online um, concerts instead. And that's quite a different thing. So personally, we have done a few online concerts, but not so much. We have tried to work on being, you know, creative and saying, well, what can we do while we are hoping that the world will return so that we can sing again with our audiences? So the last spring of 2020, we did uh, songwriting and uh, produced some, some videos and, and we did one online concert. And then we were lucky in, in Denmark that the in the fall of the early fall of 2020, we were actually able to sing again for a while before the, the second wave came. So we did a few concerts. And this was where it was challenging 
for me to do concert design because we had to do everything. Each singer would have to stand two meters apart, which is, uh, we do a lot of choreography. So that's kind of hard when you have to make people pass each other and they can't sing when they pass each other that moment. And we have to be far away from the audience. So I had to rethink the usual way that I would put together choreographies, which is very much made to underline certain musical atmosphere or um, statements of text and stuff like that. So that had to be done in, in different ways. I had to make some compromises, basically. Sometimes I we've chatted with some composers and some other folks who, when we talk about constraints mm-hmm. to their art, they say that actually it sparks a really interesting creativity or really interesting moments. And even as you were mentioning, oh gosh, I'm two meters away from you, mm-hmm. I, I might try to use that. Did you have moments of inspiration like that where the constraints actually created something that you wouldn't have thought of before? Yeah, definitely. I think and we at the moment, Dobless is a smaller group, so we're not so many singers. That has been a lucky thing for us because we've been able to work. But we have also definitely felt that we have become more independent and that our ears have grown bigger um, in singing together because we've had to have that distance between us and we have made it work. But we have also realized what it took for us to, to make it work. And it has made us grow, basically. I have another question for you. So you mentioned also that you were a PhD mm. in concert design. And uh, I, I started reading your PhD. I will f- confess it's 432 pages I'm long. So I did sorry. not get through it. <laughs> <laughs> but I did, I did look through the abstract. Uh, and, and you talk about um, six principles. And maybe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but these are what, what seem like they're the, the, the fir- six first principles that you consider. Narratives, gathering and dispersing, sensuousness, surprise, inclusion, and identity. And maybe you would restate those differently if you'd, if you'd like, um, or, or if you'd like, but maybe tell us about why those are your principles and maybe give us some examples of each of them. I'm particularly interested in sensuousness myself. It's very interesting. <laughs> well, I would definitely love to, to talk you through that. I think I'm just going to take you a few steps back just to say that Please. the way that I worked when I did this research project was that I kind of had three legs going on at the same time. And one of them was studying what's already written, you know, the academic field of performance and musicology. Another one was looking at what kind of experiments have been done out there right now. And this was particularly within the classical field. Now, today I work very much in a crossover field, which is as broad as you can get genre-wise. And I think concert design is equally um, pertinent to each of those genres. But the specific field of interest in the PhD was the classical tradition. And then the third leg was me doing experiments with musicians and and groups of people doing music together so that I kind of had all of these three ways to put together and look at what what kind of things could be done here. And this is how these principles were developed. Let's hear a bit of some of those principles in action. Here's the sensuous colors of peace written and performed by Dopplers. Make of our hands one hand. Make of our hearts one. Make of our dreams one dream. Shed a light. 
Now, first of all, before getting into the principles, I looked at what does it even take to talk about a concert, you know, a concert event being or happening. And and I came down with these three parameters based on the literature and what had been researched already. And those three parameters were performers. We need performers, obviously, but we also do need an audience. Otherwise, it's just a rehearsal. And then the third thing we do need is a space. And this can be a virtual space. But in my PhD, it was 
focused on a physical space. So there might be different things going on, talking about one or the other. But when you put those three parameters together, that's kind of your starting point saying, okay, what do I know about these parameters every time I'm doing a new event? What do I know about the singers? Who are they? What are their qualities? How can I bring that forward? What do I know about the space? What are the restraints, as you were mentioning? What are the possibilities that this space offer? And what do I know about the audience? Do I know anything? Are they perhaps, you know, relatives or friends or are they followers or are they people I don't know? So all these things, I start, you know, I bring that together and look at that with the music, with the repertoire and say, okay, what do I have then? What kind of pieces can I use to put together my puzzle? Now, when I then holistically look at the event, then I start thinking about these principles. And one of them is the story, basically. Now, I changed the names along the way in my research project. And that's, so they are called a little bit different, but it's basically the same six principles as you were mentioning. So there's structure and there's story. And those two are kind of the framework of an event. And the structure is basically the gathering and dispersing. It comes all the way back from the ancient Greek theaters and events, sporting events. So you gather somewhere and that atmosphere of, of, of anticipation, you're going to participate in something as an audience. That's what happened in the, in the gathering phase. And that has an impact on your overall experience. Then the event takes place and then there's a dispersing afterwards. You walk out into the city, you go to a cafe, you talk with other audience members about what has that experience been like? So those three phases are all important. So that's the structure. And then the story is basically the drama. Is there a drama happening? And we know that within one piece of music, there is often a drama. Perhaps it's an abstract one, but there is a sense of a drama going on. Now, when I work on a holistic perspective of a concert, then I'm trying to think about, well, is there drama from the beginning to an end? Not as much as a, a theater play, but still saying, can I connect the pieces into a set list? That makes sense. And uh, so those were the two first kind of the principles, the first two ones. And then the other four, they are very much focusing on the content and also what happens when in the, in the, in the lineup. So then there's the, you know, the, the sensory part of the sensuousness, as you were saying, um, which is just very much about thinking, realizing basically that music or music at an event is way more than what we hear. So even though I wear black, also formal black when I'm singing, it does say something about what I'm doing, whether I think it or not. There's not such a thing as a neutral visual experience. So that choice is a choice that I need to reflect upon. And there were other sensory aspects, you know, like what does the hall look like? How does that play together with what we're wearing? What's the temperature? What's the atmosphere? All of that comes together with the architecture. I have to say there are times when I have been at concerts sitting on a very hard pew, uh, you know, even the audience experience where you're like, oh, God, this concert is still going. And I would rather be sitting on a couch and having a latte. So it seems like it's not just the performers, but maybe also the audience as well. Do you, do you think about the audience when you construct that sensuous experience? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I have been to some very interesting experiments on exactly that, where the chairs of the theater have been taken out and you were asked to sit on like a hard tea stool created just for the event, just to see, you know, what, what are we as audience trained to do as well? And um, we sat on those tea stools for a long time before somebody finally revolted and said, you know what, I'm going to sit on the floor. <laughs> this is not working for me. So as an audience, we're also extremely trained into 
what is okay and what kind of behavior do we accept in the in the concert hall so i do think a lot about the audience especially because it can feel very unsafe as an audience member if you feel insecure or uncertain about what am i supposed to do now so one of the you know important aspect is always it it has to be thinking about what makes the audience feel good or safe and let them know what is what is expected or how would we like to for them to be involved if if they are being invited to be involved you know so that they're not thinking should i applaud or should i not applaud you know help them feel like they're doing what's okay you know what's what's really the right response for them to do and do you so. address that directly like do you if if you're leading a concert and you want to make sure your audience knows how they should be acting or how they should be feeling do you actually say that to the audience or are there techniques and ways that you can imply it or or let them know through nonverbal communication mm, definitely i um, there are there are different kind of options and I, it very much depends upon the event like if it's an event where there is perhaps a a uh, speaker who is uh, carrying you know the the narration through the 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 concept then then it would be sometimes it would be a good thing to say we would like you not to applaud for this section or then wait for the applause to come until this or and then tell them a little bit about what's going to happen so that they understand why um, mm-hmm. but it's definitely also possible to to make that statement without addressing it directly if if uh, if that fits the the event so sometimes it can be just about how you as a performer hold that energy the conductor can do it if you have a conductor we don't we don't often have conductors and doublers um, but then it, it's very much about how you hold your position at the end of a piece and then carry that on into so it's very much about your physical awareness because yeah. the audience won't break that if you don't break it uh, and, and and that goes you know the other way too around if you want them to applause then you release that energy and then they know, oh, yes, I can applaud, you know. So it pretty much becomes that connection you have you have with the audience right there. If I may, I, and I feel like we can talk for hours about each of these, uh, the details of the, the principles and the, and the structure and everything. Um, but I want to shift to something I found on your website as well, where you call them concepts. There are concert concepts that you were putting out. And there are two specifically. There's one called uh, Reimagine, mm-hmm. uh, which sounds like it's about John Lennon's piece, and another uh, called Nord. And I would love to ask you, what do you mean by these concepts? Why are they on your website? What, what are they? Well, basically, it's a trademark of the way that we work in Dublis, which is in some ways perhaps a little different than than other ensembles, even though other ensembles, I know they work with themes as well, you know, for a season, they might do a certain theme. So, but this is uh, this is something that we are focusing on. And that's just because the concert design is is kind of our thing. So we, we work on specific concepts and designs that we built for specific seasons because we feel like this is a good story to tell now. So the reimagined project we're doing because John Lennon's iconic song is turning 50 this this autumn. So uh, and it's kind of uh, it's a you know it's a beautiful statement. It's a very famous song, and it, the, for us it's a good opportunity to say, okay, well, how can we create an interesting concept with a focus on a specific uh, audience group that we would like to inspire? So the project reimagined is actually focusing on on young people in high school. 
that we we want them to be you know active and um perhaps also voice what kind of dreams they would have what they would imagine for their futures and i mean obviously there's a lot of things going on in the world right now which is also very important for young people to talk about what what kind of things do they feel like need to happen for them to have a a, a better future so uh, we have created this it's kind of an open framework called reimagine it's a concert where dublas has some songs but then there are spaces left up for the the different kind of high schools that participate for them to put in different kind of works that they create and that we help put together with them so that could be um poetries that that they write and then we then do improvised musical sections for with them uh, or it could be them writing a song if they have some songwriting on their schedule in music class or whichever kind of fit so it's a flexible thing that we have and then we've written an opening piece and and an, a finale piece and then and then we'll do a, a reinvented imagine um, version somewhere in the in the concept as well so that's one one example of what we would try to do to you know reach a certain group of people and that's also what often lies in our concept is we really want to try see what we can give to the audience whether it's you know um inspiration or perhaps it's encouragement to do action or it it can also just be the the feeling of of joy or mourning uh if if that's what's uh, relevant for the for the concept and concept built is is coming out of like concept design is really a a concept of its own consisting of a model and a process and then the methods that we are then working with and sharing with with the people that we workshop with so can you tell us a little bit more about dopplers where the name came from um and we'll we'll get into to that ensemble yeah sure so dopplers was initially uh vocal ensemble that came out of the University of Copenhagen and it was because the university already had for a long time had a tradition of having a it had a choir which mainly sung classical music and then at some point I was a freelance teacher there I was like well shouldn't they have a rhythmical vocal ensemble as well and at that point they were like well sure let's let's try to have that happen so it started out being a rhythmical vocal ensemble that kind of mirrored what was already out there in the world at the time and uh, people were changing uh, each semester because it depended on who was studying at the moment so we did different kind of projects those first two or three years and then doubles then kind of evolved into something different first of all it got separated from the university um mainly because of funding but also because some people were no longer in the university so we really looked at ourselves saying well do we want to continue this project and if we do what should it then be about and then we also changed repertoire going from being more traditional rhythmical vocal repertoire into being a little bit more creative in the sense of of the concept design framework so we very much became like a, a a crossover ensemble saying one of our missions is to say well concert don't have to be either classical music or rhythmical music it can be about telling the the good story or the the important message and we use good music and it doesn't really matter whether it's classical or it's folk or if it's rhythmical or if it's jazz it can all go together so that was kind of the second period of, of doubles and that's also when doubles got its name yeah because we sat down and brainstormed at some point because in the beginning it was just called you know the 
I don't even remember. You're the rhythmical ensemble of Copenhagen University, I think. But then we brainstormed and one of the former members came up with Doppless. And in the beginning, we kind of had a little bit of, I had a little bit of troubles with it because I felt like it sounded a bit like the Dubliners or something like sound like a bar <laughs> and would people understand that, but it stuck with us. And what it talks about is the, the Doppler effect, uh, which is, you know, the effect of the, of sound waves. So we're still missing to create a piece of music that actually exemplifies that. I have that on my to-do list at some point. We haven't done it yet. <laughs> You've used the term rhythmical choir a couple of times, which is a is actually a phrase that I'm I'm not familiar with. Not that I don't okay. know what you mean by it, but I think that perhaps that's kind of the equivalent of what we here in the states call a cappella choral music, where the choir, the voices provide the rhythmical, the rhythmic like background or backing of the for the rest of the of the voices. Is that is that what you mean? Just to define it for our audience. Yeah, and you know what? There is no good terminology. I think we we talk a lot about it here actually because we have specific courses at the one of the academies in Denmark now for this genre of choral conducting because usually there wasn't such a thing as you couldn't study choral conducting that was in classical. But now you actually can. And it's called, I think they call it pop rock and jazz choir. But even that is not necessarily fulfilling because where does world music or folk music then fit in? So it's, it's one of those things. And rhythmical choir is really not a good terminology because, you know, all music is rhythmical. So it's, um, it's just a lack of a good terminology for, for saying that, that this is something that has the groove you know, and the and the beat as a as a as an important or more important factor. It has a steady beat often, and it's true that I think it's equivalent to the a cappella um, world of of what you have in the states. But uh, in Denmark, there's actually a really really strong tradition of working with that in big choirs. I think we're one of the front runners on this field. We have a big festival, and we have different programs in both university and in the academies where you can study this. So it's quite a unique thing. And within that genre of of a cappella or rhythmical, whichever whatever title we want to give it, what would you say differentiates Dopplers from other groups that sing in that similar style? Well, there's two things that I would say we have developed into becoming. I mean, in the beginning, we might have had more of that uh, rhythmical choir feel, which is like you were explaining. It's very much about actually sounding like instruments. You take a pop rock ideal of instruments, you put that into vocal. Um, so we started there, but then we changed into um, like becoming what the real group of Sweden, if you if you know that uh, uh, a cappella group, what you mm -hmm. would say that we were actually people who were born with vocal, vocal music within this genre as well. So instead of trying to make band music uh, work in vocal music, vocal music within these genres become a, a natural norm. So we've changed that a little bit. So it's for us, it's not so much about the drum and bass. Um, we don't have that aspect very predominantly in, in Doppler's. We also don't sing on, on, on handheld microphones. We sing on theater microphones, which is a very different ideal. And preferably we would sing, and we do sing a lot of acoustic as well. So we, we land somewhere in between the traditional choir sound, acoustic choir sound, and the amplified uh, a cappella sound. And then when we still did a lot of cover music, we did a lot of them, both crossover between genres, but also mashups between genres. So, so that kind of became our take on doing something that was a little different. 
than doing straight covers. And now we've moved on into uh, composing a lot of our music ourselves. Here's one of Astrid's earlier arrangements, a mashup of Zap Mama's Take Me Cuckoo, performed by Dopplers. Stim dwa kuku dwa kuku stim 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 dwa kuku dwa kuku stim dwa kuku dwa kuku stim 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 dwa kuku dwa kuku stim dwa kuku dwa kuku stim 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 dwa kuku dwa kuku stim dwa kuku dwa kuku stim 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 dwa kuku dwa kuku stim dwa kuku dwa kuku stim 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 dwa kuku dwa kuku stim dwa kuku dwa kuku stim 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 dwa kuku dwa kuku Ah, 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 ah,
You taught a program this past February for the Los Angeles Acapella Festival, which was really cool. Uh, we would love to talk to you about not only what you taught, but maybe also what did you learn? What were some of the differences and similarities between acapella music in the U.S. versus Denmark? Well, first of all, it was it was great being part of the festival, and I um, one of the things that's still quite new is to teach in this hybrid or in this straight online f- format. And of course, I this was an online format, so so it was also about you know working out the platform and how how are we doing this. So um, I taught concert design, which is is the main the main thing that I usually teach at uh, when I go to different festivals and uh, and. Uh, also here at the when I teach at the university and at the academies here, so concept design is you know the concept that I have developed and I exemplify that by using doublers, but also some of the larger productions that I've done at the Aarhus Vocal Festival. I'm at the board of Aarhus Vocal Festival, and this is one of the festivals that's trying to do innovation within both uh, both the more traditional fields of workshops and and concerts, but also by putting on a bigger production that has this you know, more theatrical uh, feel to it. So, um, so that was what I was introducing at the festival. And then I got, a, I got to, to, to look a little bit into what was happening otherwise on the festival, but unfortunately due to the, you know, big time difference, I didn't see so much, but um, two years ago, Dublos was in New York. Now we went to New York for the Sing Strong Festival. And I actually, I learned a lot about, you know, the acapella uh, seen in the u.s first of all i didn't know it was so big i mean it's 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 huge it seems like it's almost as big as sports um and i didn't know that many uh, different kind of universities had you know this acapella thing going on we we don't have something like that in denmark not as well paid or well supported as sports obviously we wish, not, but uh, yes <laughs> <laughs> but that was kind of an eye-opener for me and i was impressed with the level that there are so many people who are actually, you know, very passionate about doing this acapella style. So, so I thought that was kind of cool. And it was inspirational to, to think about how we could be more um, proactive at home in getting people into singing. Because in Denmark, one of the big issues is that it's, it's difficult to get guys, good guys singing because they don't sing when they're kids. It's, it's usually just girls. So, I mean, this, this could be one of the ways it seemed like they were much better represented, male and female, in, in some of these groups. And then I, I thought it was kind of cool, that whole support system. I mean, how, how good they were at cheering on at each other and having this friendly competition um, going on. So I also met some professional groups there. And I was impressed with the fact that, that there's quite a lot of professional groups who can actually make a living from doing a cappella uh, in the States. And we don't have one single professional a cappella group in Denmark because there is such a big difference between, I mean, we have some professional vocal ensembles who sing classical music who are supported and funded. We don't have one single um, a cappella group who, who are neither funded or able to make a living. So that's quite different uh, here. Why do you suppose that is? Well, I think there are more th- more things to it. First of all, the the pos- on a positive note, Denmark does have a very strong um, funding system from the state. So that means that we do have a lot of uh, like symphony orchestras and also a few vocal ensembles who are actually funded by the state. 
I don't, I don't think the U.S. have that in the same way. So that's very positive because we bring out art for everybody. It becomes very democratic. Now, the downside to that is, though, that there's a quite a big hierarchy between what is art and what is not. So if you're working, like, for instance, like Doppler's within different kinds of genres, it's way more difficult to have that kind of funding. And I think there's actually just one orchestra. It's a jazz orchestra that's funded by the state. So you can see there's a big division. There's a big gap between the genres and what has been recognized as art. So, so that's one thing. And then on the other hand, I mean, it, it also means that sometimes we as Danish people, we don't feel like we need, we're not used to, we're just not taught that we need to pay for quality in the same way that you might need to do in, in the U.S. Like if you want to have a symphony orchestra, you need to have uh, sponsors and you also need to have people who help fund the art and i think we're very used to that we can just go to the the church and they will hire someone for a concert and i don't have to pay anything personally so when when you get to be like a group like Doppler's and many other groups get to be just about that that level where we also need to make a living it's actually quite difficult um because it's difficult for for people to 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 actually pay not because they can't but because they're not used to well, the converse problem, of course, is uh, you get the joys of capitalism. So I think we have to be careful what we wish for in this, yeah. in this realm. Yeah. Uh, th- this cultural exchange, even just learning a little bit about Denmark, is is fantastic and, and is fascinating for me. I'd like to ask you a little bit about uh, a different type of cultural exchange that you've been involved with, which is your Ubuntu song project. So as a tech nerd, I, I know what this means for technologists. It's you know yeah. the, the operating system for Linux, right? But what does Ubuntu mean to you in the realm of music and choral singing? And what is the Ubuntu song project? Well, the Ubuntu song project is a project that I initiated because I have um, I have a long history of working with South African music, original music, um, traditional music. And it, before I started working with Doppler's, actually, I was part of a, a group in Denmark that sang indigenous songs from South Africa. And um, this group I was part of, and then I later became the conductor of the group. So I was involved with this South African adventure for almost 20 years. And during those years, I traveled to South Africa six times and uh, we did workshops with local choirs, all black choirs. So we learned the songs from the people who sang the songs. And we were told stories and the meaning of this music, which was basically some, you know, a powerful weapon that these people have had during apartheid. And uh, that cultural exchange has just made such a great impact on me. And the fact that we as, you know, people from so far away coming down to South Africa and singing their songs and feeling like, you know, what difference can that make for anyone? Um, Realizing that it actually could make a difference because what they saw was some people, some white people from far, far away who had taken the time to learn their music and was so in love with their culture and their music. So they, they got to feel very proud of their own heritage. And, um, you know, saying even though they might have been more interested in pop music from, from for instance, the, the U.S., they were suddenly like, you know what, our our music is really strong. This is something that can inspire other people. So even though it's just a minor thing, just the meeting with these people and 
you know, the struggle that they had been through and then still being able to be so generous and, you know, share their music and, and give the gift of music um, was just something that has been so powerful for me. So when I was getting towards the end of, of working with Papaya, as the group was called, I was inspired to write this song about Ubuntu because Ubuntu is, is a philosophy of South Africa. And it really says that I am because of you. So no person is an island. I am. I cannot be alone. We are all connected in some sense in this big web of humanity. So um, that was something that I felt I had experienced. It was a gift that I had gotten personally from that meeting. And I wanted to share that philosophy. And this was also the philosophy of, of Nelson Mandela and, and Archbishop Tutu that was, um, you know, one of the powerful tools that they used in trying to rebuild and heal the South African society after, you know, it's all this terrible um, many years of apartheid. So it's just been a very inspirational thought. Let's hear the beautiful message of Astrid's composition, Ubuntu Song, performed by Dopplers and the Ubuntu Song World Choir.
It's fascinating because um, as Americans, I think one of the things that we grapple with is this notion of white saviorism, mm -hmm. which is, you know, you'll see lots of folks who say, oh, I traveled to this country or that country. They take lots of photos and they feel good about themselves and they take and then they go home and nothing changes and they sort of pat themselves on their back and it's like, oh, this is great. We had this cultural exchange. I guess the question for you might be, is that a dynamic that you think about? And then how do you think about the work um, after those trips and after that work? And, and how does Ubuntu Song kind of contribute to that? I think that's a very good question. And in in my years in Papaya, I have experienced very little of of that kind of uh, of of feeling, basically. But there has been a few times where we have been questioned, you know, how can you even sing these songs? How can you how can you take these songs who are not yours, and then go out and sing them in public? And and I specifically there, there was one moment when we did an, a toy toy, which is a very powerful uh, physical movement that we did in Denmark as a celebration. Or actually, it was like we were we were think it was that day of of the uh, uprising in Soweto which of course was a terrible day because a lot of young kids were were killed in that uprising so we were doing a memory thing for 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 that with the ambassador of of South Africa in Denmark who happens happened to be at that time Nelson Mandela's daughter now there's a lot of action going on on Facebook and on social media saying how can these guys do a toy toy that is just wrong and of course, that made us go, well, we have to think about, be aware why we're doing these things and, and what kind of harm it can potentially do. So it's it's a good thing to reflect upon. Now, the result was that some of the people that we worked with, one of them was Mandela's daughter, and also the, the people that we have met in South Africa, they have said, you know what? This is a good thing because even though they are white and even though they're from Denmark, they're still being respectful and they're still sharing our heritage and bringing it out there, telling the story of what happened. And I think that's most of the time that's the best we can do. Of course, we have to be aware that we, that we don't want to harm anybody or hurt anyone's feelings. Um, so we have to be, we have to be considerate, but we also have to be, you know, authentic and, and and say, well, this is really something that I'm passionate about. I'm not trying to, to misuse or miscredit uh, the South African heritage by, by doing what we're doing here. So there's always going to be people who are critical, and, and that's totally okay, and that's necessary in a democracy. But but we also just have to, to do what we feel is, is right. And Papaya or, or Doblis, neither of these two choirs are political organizations. So what we are going out and saying and doing through music is not political statements, but even though it, it, it still kind of lands in between because music can be political. So we just have to be open and take that dialogue if it, if it brings us out there. So. And speaking about things you're passionate about, looking forward, uh, you have a really fantastic project coming out. It's one of the concepts that you're selling as well, to go back to this discussion before. Nord, you have a new upcoming album called Nord. And by the way, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that. It's probably much more beautifully said in, in Danish. I think you're Danish. doing very well, actually. We would oh. just say Nord. Nor. Okay, good. I, I'm going to go ahead and not hurt myself too much, patting myself on the back. <laughs> so, uh, but tell us what we can expect from your upcoming album. Yeah. 
Now we we have uh, for a while actually been been diving into the heritage of the Nordic songs, and in in Scandinavia uh, there's a really strong tradition of of folk music and uh, um, and also preserving that music. That that history has been a little bit different in Denmark, maybe because Denmark has been connected with with the you know continent of Europe, uh, so that has been more hidden. Um, the Danish uh, folk tradition, but it's been it's been more and more popular now to kind of dig that out and finding that Nordic sound, and and we have been really interested in in doing that. But not only the sound; I mean, there are specific vocal sounds to the North, but it's also the mytho- methodology of of the Nordic history and kind of the elements of bringing, you know, how how did we live with nature and the elements of water and earth and fire and air. And so we decided we wanted to do this project, which is basically a cyclic pro- project. So it it follows the year and it goes through the elements. So in, in that sense, it's also about the human life. I mean, it's in that sense, we are also living. Each of us has a cycle um, that we go go through. So that's what we're trying to capture. Uh, with this uh, project and with this record that's that's coming out. That's fabulous. We're excited for that. And we will put uh, the link to this upcoming project because uh, you're doing something which is quite clever, I think, which is you're asking folks to help fund this project. So we will definitely let folks know about that. Um, please, folks who are listening, if, you, if you're excited by the things that Dopplers and Astrid are working on, help fund Nord. It would be fantastic. Anything else coming up you'd like us to look forward to or anything else we should check out that you're particularly excited or proud of or interested in? Well, first of all, I just want to say that Nord is is going to be all within the Scandinavian and the Nordic languages. So in that sense, we're kind of going back to the roots after having, you know, been out there in the more multiple languages of of popular music there. So we're going back to to that. And uh, and asking you guys to help us fund it is really to to buy the the record in advance so that we can we can, you know, get that record financed through that. So that will definitely be helpful. And then now that the, uh, uh, we're still being in this pandemic times, then we can't do a festival like uh, usually you have a big festival every second year in, in Denmark. But instead, we're going to do a, an online festival and it's going to be open and free for everyone to uh, participate. It's called the EAAVF, which is, stands for uh, Aarhus Vocal Festival. It's going to be at the end of May. And uh, it's going to be online and hybrid. So basically, there's going to be workshops and representing many different places in the world, free of charge. And then there's going to be an evening program with concerts and with interviews and where we're bringing different kind of uh, both groups and professional and and semi-professional groups, but also different organizations also from the U.S., who are coming on and just letting us know what they're working on. So um, so that's going to be great to be able to do that instead of a traditional festival until we can do that again. So I definitely encourage you guys to to join us and, uh, and, and watch. What is the current status of uh, COVID considerations in Denmark? Are, are, is Dopplers able to get together and rehearse in person or what's happening in that regard? We haven't yet this year. We have been in our second lockdown now for three months, but we just uh, we recently just went into the studio actually, which we were able to do with great distance. Um, so we are continuing our our recording project. But I am I'm thinking that we might be able to meet by by the end of April. Yeah, but of course we will still have to sing with quite a big distance, but not being more than seven singers at the moment. 
then uh, that is actually uh, that's looking better for us than probably for most groups in in Denmark. So, no, it's been very tough, and 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 trying to you know do what we can do online is is working to some degree. But I mean, it's it's, it's it can never replace, obviously. That's one of the things that I have realized that there are actually some things that we can still do even though we don't sing live yet. And I work a lot with all different kinds of groups, both young people and adults, and a cappella ensembles and choirs, and 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 talk about concert design with you know conductors or group members and and help them try to figure out what is their what's their specific thing, you know, and how can we together create you know programs that engage their audiences and and get them involved the way that they feel like this fits with us because that's a very personal thing i mean there is not a it's not a right or wrong way to do things it's very much about finding that personal sweet spot that works for your ensemble so that you feel like this fits us that nobody has put something on you that you then certain have to 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 realize but that you can build from where you're already at and i love doing that work it's a it's it's amazing to work with with group and musicians like that it's so much fun and a learning experience every time so you are very welcome to do that and anyone else who hear that if you feel like this could be something for you then definitely reach out to me and we will work something out yeah fantastic we'll put your contact information in our show notes as well so the audience can if anyone's interested in contacting astrid they can and and find out more information um, but yeah, this has been a great conversation. It's so wonderful to reconnect and to hear, um, hear about all the things that you've been doing. Um, and yeah, we're, we're excited. Please, everybody who's listening, go out and, and pre-order that, that CD from Dopplers. Cause it's, uh, it's some great music. They are very, very talented. Thank you. Be cool. Giacomo, <laughs> anything else for you? Uh, th- Astrid, thank you so much for your time. This has been really wonderful and enlightening conversation. I've learned a ton. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's very nice to meet us. you and great to see you again, saying I'm looking forward to be able to follow your project as well. And who knows, maybe someday we will get the opportunity to connect with a group or two. You know, that would be really that would be really awesome. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. One Glad of our to former... found your, your, your podcast as well. Yeah. Have to follow you guys for for hearing those. Yeah. Thanks. Our theme song comes from Denmark. From a, from a group of I realized actually. that you guys have a, a, a friend here because uh, he had reached out through one of the Dublin members as well. Mm-hmm. So there were two channels communicating. So yeah. I, I don't know that ensemble, though, which is actually kind of interesting because Denmark is quite small. <laughs> but I, I, I hadn't heard about that group. Yeah, they're relatively new. Paul Kim is a former director of my group, and he's the reason that I am the director for that group. Uh, but he moved to Denmark many years ago and met a met a woman while he was there and, and married her. And he's been living in Denmark um, ever since, making music. And, and he started that group called Dynamic. Um, oh, cool. And they're just doing a, doing great music. So That's cool. Yeah, I'll it's have a to small world. The music world is a small world. It really, yeah, and really that is comforting, actually, sometimes. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for sure. Well, this has been great. Thanks so much for joining us, Astrid. And uh, we will look forward to talking to you again soon. That sounds great. Thank you, okay. both of you, very much. Yeah, absolutely. Take care. Take care. To take us out this week, let's look to the future. Here are some excerpts from Doppler's upcoming album, Nor. Don't forget to support this great ensemble and pre-order your copy of Nor at dopplers.dk.
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the In Unison Podcast. If you've got ideas for our podcast, please send us a message at ideas at inunisonpodcast.com. And who knows, maybe Chorus Dolores will ask us to talk about it during announcements. (laughs) In Unison is sustained, nourished, and fostered by you, our loyal and loving listeners. And don't forget to subscribe to In Unison on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at InUnisonPod. And hey, if you like what you heard, tell a friend or a section mate. Thanks again for tuning in. See you soon. Chairs and music stands set up for rehearsal by Chorus Dolores, who would like you to lift, not scrape your chairs, please. In Unison is produced and recorded by Mission Orange Studios. Our theme music is Mr. Puffy, written by Avi Bortnik, arranged by Paul Kim, and performed by the Danish vocal jazz ensemble Dynamic on their debut album, This Is Dynamic. Special thanks to Paul Kim for permission. Be sure to check them out at www.dynamicjazz.dk.